You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to Episode 9, Educate to Eliminate. When I was in school, math was certainly my least favorite subject, and the teacher would always have us show our work so the teacher could see that we understood the concept that was being taught in that segment of the class. I am not very good at math, even to this day, and whenever I had to show my work, it sometimes helped me out. Most of the time, I would overthink it, get lost, get confused, and end up with the wrong work or the wrong answer or both, and I just did not like it at all. And I think our culture that is attuned to instant gratification, googling something to make us an expert in it automatically, and sharing what the right answer is to everything, which is most of the time just our opinion that is supported by a five-second Google search. Uh, That sort of back-and-forth, quote-unquote, dialogue of ideas is not very helpful because uh, if you can Google something, I can Google it better is basically the basis for all of that. Whenever someone doesn't know something, doesn't understand something, Instead of shouting them down, which is mostly what happens on the internet today, we need to educate each other. We need to be able to listen, to understand why someone has arrived at the position that they hold, what their perspective is, and engage in a healthy dialogue to help them understand what they might not be seeing from your perspective, and to truly educate them on what is going on. Because even when something is happening in our society, it affects various people differently. For some, it's an academic issue, an intellect issue. And for others, it's their reality. It's their practical day-to-day life. As youth workers, we need to be able to guide our students well in understanding how to educate themselves and educate others without it becoming a shouting match, a comment war, or something like that, that ends up not being helpful and ends up just being an ego contest. So, to help me with that, uh, my guest today is Robert Wagner. Uh, Robert is a gifted speaker. We were in a few seminary classes together at Dallas Seminary. He has a lot of ministry experience He is very passionate about health, about maximizing your gifts. He regularly consults with business professionals. And as a black man, he has experienced prejudice and the way he has engaged it uh, in his personal life, at his workplace, is pretty extraordinary in being able to balance and listen to both sides of an issue And Robert is fantastic at resetting the context, spelling things out clearly, and being able to educate others on what they might not be 
understanding. So let's go ahead and hop into the conversation. Robert, thank you so much for hopping on with me today in the podcast. Uh, for those who don't know you, could you give us a quick overview of who you are and what you're up to these days? Uh, well, first of all, um, Jeff, you know, pleasure to uh, be with you on this podcast. Um, it's been been a while since we've seen each other, um, yeah. but, since school and all that good stuff. But um, I'm Robert L. Wagner. I am um, you know, born and raised in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, I am a born again believer, uh, ordained in ministry since 2000, uh, where I was licensed to preach the gospel. 2005, I was ordained as an elder, um, assistant pastor of my, my home church, which is called Redeemer Love Church, um, where I served in many roles from youth pastor to young adults pastor to assistant pastor, uh, a little small church plant in Fort Worth. And um, from there, I went to Dallas Seminary, um, majored in Master Christian Education, left DTS, planted a church in Arlington, Texas for about six years, and um, just been in, in ministry. And if you don't know, I am a uh, Black American. <laughs> awesome, bro. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, Robert and I had one or two classes together at seminary. And, um, you know, recently, obviously, with everything going on in, in our culture and conversations that we've been having, uh, Robert graciously chimed in on one of the posts that I made. And uh, if any of you already know Robert, you know that he's a very well-spoken man, and I love whenever he speaks up and has to say anything. And obviously, with things going on, uh, it's always good to have more dialogue. I had an episode several weeks ago now um, with two sisters who are in ministry, uh, and so I want to kind of continue that conversation with you, Robert. And uh, actually, there's been something that's come up recently that a lot of people are talking about. Um, but before we get to that, I kind of just wanted to gauge your perspective a little bit. Um, so listeners, as I mentioned in the intro, we'll be talking about how eliminating cultural problems and flawed behavior while advocating for real change has to be done through education. Uh, I think our egocentric, self-aggrandizing nature prefers to address these issues in the era of social media by tweeting jabs and posting condemning statements at people to quote unquote cancel them. Uh, we usually leave it at that as well. Just about everyone is guilty of engaging in those issues with, with that method, uh, including myself. Um, so Robert, I think a great place for us to start is li listening to your observation and thoughts about the complex and usually extreme responses regarding the most recent cases of racism, prejudice, and ignorance. So tell us, what have you seen? What are you learning? And how are you engaging with the ongoing ripple effect? Yeah, that's good um, and uh, loaded um, for sure. And I want to say, first of all, thank you for having dialogue. I think that that's the most important thing that we can do in, in this season is, is having communication. And I think that effective communication is, is not just hearing the words, but hearing the emotions that underlie many of the spoken words. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of times what we're seeing right now is that individuals are uh, clamoring for their voices to be heard. Um, and in doing so, it's like a competition of my voice and my thoughts versus your thoughts and your voice. And uh, I want to silence you and I want to be heard. And there's no um, real communication and communication, I believe, shifts. It wiggles. It, it's dynamic. It doesn't um, take breaks. It is something that is ongoing. And what I've I've noticed. And so I, I'll even say 
I want to redefine terminology. Um, okay. I personally don't use the terminology of racism. If, if you see me use it, I typically use it in a sense of quote unquote racism. Um, I believe that we're a part of the one race, the human race, and we have many ethnos or ethnicities. And so I, I've, I've tried to coin the term ethnicism, ethnicism in the sense of it's the same concept of someone who feels that their ethnicity is um, superior than someone else or there's preconceived notions about your ethnic background and I'm going to hold discriminations or disparities based upon what I see. And truth, truth be told, I personally find that it goes um, uh, in multiple areas, both you know, Black people who, 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 who oppose others because of their ethnic background, white people who hold um, others because of their ethnic backgrounds, or Latinos, or whatever the case may be. There is all these preconceived notions that we have about people, um, and we tend to hold people to those preconceived notions. For instance, um, the adage of, you know, white man can't jump. Like we hold that in our mindset, in our community. And that's, that's error, right? Because we've seen many instances where white brothers can jump out the roof uh, or that all black people have rhythm. And it's like, no, I got some brothers and sisters in my family who can't, you know, they got two left feet. Um, and so we have these prejudices based upon our cultural backgrounds in many aspects. And it's how we engage people based on those prejudices, whether positive or negative, that can be the, the, the key. What, what I'm seeing right now is that the church should be leading the charge um, in how we deal with these ethnic relationships and ethnic equality and um, the harmonious nature that the gospel um, shows us in the in the gospels, you know, the, in the Bible that says that there is no, no Jew, no Greek. First of all, if you're not Jew, we're all a part of the same same Greeks category. Like we're all a part of this category, and we always fighting to be included in the number, right? So there's no Jew, there's no Greek, no male, nor female, but we're all one in the body of Christ. And so often, what we find, or I find, is that within our own community of believers, we're fighting the wrong battles. We're fighting the battles of the world, not the battle of the of the Word of God. We're preaching our politics. We're preaching our prejudices. We're preaching our philosophies and not preaching the word of God, because that is where true everlasting change takes place. And so uh, it is quite frustrating and discouraging to see pastors and ministers and just believers having these um, shouting matches and not having dialogue of trying to understand um, what's happening. And, and, and quite honestly, the world is in many aspects doing a better job of that than the churches right now. Like, like on my job last week, we had a diversity and inclusion meeting where we were just talking about black lives and how they matter and what that looks like. And they asked me to facilitate this of 50 people, or we have a 500 people in our organization, but we wanted to keep it in a kind of more of a uh, concealed kind of structured format before we took it to the entire organization. And we were doing a great job of having honest dialogue and transparency and honesty, yet speaking with grace and listening with grace. Because you will, you know, there are emotions that we all have that if you're not gracious in your speech, the, the hearer will not hear it. And there are things that can be said very graciously, but because of the nature of what is being said, 
it can be very uneasy for the hearer and you have to also listen with grace in that regard as well. So I think that we we need to do a better job as far as having dialogue and effective communication um, because right now what is happening is that everyone is pointing the finger um, and no one is really having an, a time of honest communication and dialogue. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that word dialogue gets thrown out, but as you highlighted, people need to realize what that means and what it looks like. And it's not mm-hmm. just going past an accusation and not listening. It's listening and listening more. And the way you respond is as important or sometimes more important than how you say something because Absolutely. you can be upset at a very charged issue. And so you speak with passion. But uh, if you are thinking about your passion and, and what you're going and what you're going to say next and not really hearing the, the other person or if you said something and you think that they're not hearing you, then you speak to them in a way that's not gracious. And then it's just noise and yelling. And maybe technically it's dialogue because it's ongoing, but it's more of an argument and just kind of nuanced noise, if you will. Right. Yeah. It's the old adage of listening to understand, not listening to reply. And um, what happens so often is, and you know, because I have a tendency of being very passionate when I speak, um, I have to be very, um, very cognizant, like very conscious of what I'm portraying. So um, I'm just a very passionate person. I'm very emotional um, as an individual. And so as a, as a result of knowing myself, when I have communication, especially on Facebook or any type of typing uh, communication, I have to make sure that my tone is in a way that is received. Um, for example, our CEO released a statement about two and a half weeks ago about Black Lives Mattering and, you know, our stances with our company about the, the particular situation that's happening. Well, I have personal experiences at our organization of knowing that because of my col- the color of my skin, I was not considered for certain positions, even though I was the most qualified, the most prepared, the hardest worker, uh, most educated individual in that room. I know for a fact, not 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 suspicion, it was told to me by someone in that hiring circle that the reason they believe I wasn't hired was because I was a black man. Mm. Well, I have personal experiences of that. So when I responded back to the email, I had to keep in mind that I don't want to attribute or to infer my um, emotion in the email to where it's not received. So I had to, ha- I had to do what my dad always says is halt. You know, when you're hungry, you're angry, you're lonely, you're tired, take a moment, breathe <laughs> and respond, not react. When you react, it's when something happens to you and you act right back. But response is something that happens to you. You take a minute to process, to breathe, and then you make the appropriate assessment of how to engage. So I engage in the email back to him in a very polite way, not detailing certain instances of being discriminated against, but just the tensions that we feel many times as people of color in our organization, what we don't see in senior leadership as far as the representation of our, you know, our cultural background. We do a great job in certain positions in certain fields where if it's a lot of women in that department, they have a lot of women in the leadership. But then when it's like the organization has 
more than half the organization is, is people of color, particularly black. There is no one in our senior leadership department that is black, mm. not a one. When it's like 60 to 70% of the entire organization is black. And so I asked questions and what I did was I just said, here's a conversation starter. This is what I would love to see. I love our mission. I love what we do. I love the people that I work with, but here are some tensions that we feel and how do we go about getting this resolved? And he responded back really quickly in a very in a way that he understood and accepted what I had given and the dialogue was created that created a snowball effect where I was leading a diversity and inclusion meeting and now I'm on this leadership team and, and all these things. But it have, it started with me being willing to, number one, speak and two, speak in a way that was gracious so that the hearer can hear it and see like, okay, we do need to make some changes. Let's have some change. And what we're not doing oftentimes is being gracious in that regard. The Bible tells us a soft answer turns away wrath. And so often we're giving harsh answers and we're wondering why we're getting harsh answers back. Mm -hmm. And it's, we need to start looking at what the word of God says and the biblical principles that it gives us and engage um, accordingly. Yeah. Man, that's that's great, and it really makes me think about when, whenever I've been offended at, at anything, and I'm just waiting <laughs> for them to stop talking so I can jab back. And even if we feel justified, and even if what we're saying is actually true and right, um, you know that goes back into why we're framing this episode the way we're framing it with education, because mm. we can shoot down evil with righteousness because we know who God is. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit, right? Mm. But yet, if our enemy is Satan and our enemy is real, it's a spiritual battle and other people shouldn't be our enemy because they're made in the image of God. Jesus died for them. It shouldn't be us versus them with people. It should be us as people versus uh, the enemy who wants to see us fall, right? And so when we respond in a way that, um, alienates them and makes ourselves feel better. Um, or even if we think, well, I've taken care of it because that was wrong and I showed up with what's right and now it's good. I understand the justification uh, behind that, but that doesn't really help ongoing relationships if at the heart of the gospel is reconciliation, right? And so if we're supposed to go out and be able to love others well, um, it should look different than a normal mediation, right? It should be right, ongoing. Right. And I'm, I'm certainly guilty of shooting out uh, jabs and saying, well, this is good. So I'm just going to tweet this or post this on <laughs> Instagram. And more often than not, gratefully, because I think the Holy Spirit's kicking me in the butt, like, hey, you need to realize like who you represent and how you should go about um, talking with people and talking about people um, because it needs to be something that looks very different and should be something that's pleasing and brings glory to the Lord and should uh, that should be our witness. And however we present ourselves, not just preaching the gospel, but really how we just engage as human beings with, with others. And we should look different, right? We should sound different. We should look different. That's good. Lifestyle um, witness, lifestyle worship. Absolutely. That's right. Yeah. So you just, you just give a great example <clears throat> with your workplace 
And so in a minute, I'm actually going to ask you to give another one if you can, because uh, I wanted to bring up uh, what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, something that recently happened that probably a lot of people are aware of by now. Um, Louis Giglio, the well-known pastor of Passion City Church in Atlanta, uh, he recently had a live stream conversation with Dan Cathy, who's the CEO of Chick-fil-A and the Christian rapper Lecrae, uh, about the cultural events and the issues uh, regarding whites and blacks and racism and prejudice and all of that. Uh, Giglio said that white privilege should be referred to as a white blessing because slavery created the current framework for white people to exist within. Basically, he stated that slavery was a blessing for white people. Now, if you listen in context, he was trying to flip the example of the wretched, horrid uh, experience that Jesus had to go through on the cross to redeem us. And so taking what's evil and using it for good, right? You think of Joseph Mm. and and, in Genesis with Egypt and all of that. But Obviously, with his terminology and his approach, <laughs> it was not the way that he, he should go. Um, he has since re- retracted that and sincerely apologized. Um, and Lecrae came out and said he understands the direction Louis was trying to go in, but certainly did not approve of the terminology or phrasing. So, Robert, uh, thinking about that example, uh, how, uh, you just shared one, but have you had any other experiences when you were in a similar position and while being understandably hurt or upset, you were able to provide helpful dialogue and educate people on their missteps? Uh, yeah. So, first of all, um, <laughs> that's that's loaded, um, the, the, the example. I need to go back and definitely I would like to go and listen to the context and, and just the entire conversation that took place because I also get it. Um, I, you know, I've been saying for 20-ish years, I've, I've been out of college almost, oh, my, almost 20 years now, mm-hmm. undergrad. And when I was an undergrad, I, I took some heat one time when I made the comment. I said, um, I personally thank God for slavery and the statement. People were like, how can you dare say that as a Christian? And I said, well, the Bible says give thanks on all things. And secondly, if it wasn't for slavery, I probably wouldn't be here today uh, because people who made my mom, my dad were in different countries and continents and all that kind of stuff. And then they came existed because of it and, and all that. And so they were like, well, I get your point, but still you shouldn't say that. And I was like, well, I, yeah, it's just my personal opinion. Um, so I get what he's trying to accomplish. And I do think that there is a certain level of privilege or blessing that comes um, to white Americans. But there's also a certain privilege and blessing that black Americans have. And I've said this, if you watch me on follow me on Facebook enough, that there are things that I can say as a black man that you couldn't say as a white man. Right. Um, so I have privilege. I have a certain cultural like I can say black girl rocks and black girl magic and black entertainment television but you dare not say that because then i'll be viewing you as you know as a quote-unquote racist um and so we all have a level of privilege um within everything um to the question though um i will say it was uh a few months ago before COVID 19 took place i was on a basketball court and um i was playing ball with a guy and it, it was it was interesting because I play ball with this guy every Saturday, he and his son. And this particular Saturday, it was another guy who was a a black man who came and played. He was a little more aggressive and, you know, he thought he was the next Michael Jordan. You know, (laughs) you can always tell those guys that come in with their, with the, you know, the whole uniform tucked in and, you know, man, man, he was ready to go. Seriously, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
he was ready. And pick up ball uh, was tucked in. That's a first. Pick up ball was tucked in. He had the matching outfit, and he was talking noise from the very beginning. And it's like, okay, it's gonna be one of those, one of those Saturday mornings. And he was playing ball. He's very aggressive, driving and all that. And then he got into a kind of a a scuffle kind of talk, you know, back and forth with a white guy. Let's call him, you know, John for the sake of uh, conversation. He got in a scuffle with John and, you know, they was kind of talking back and forth. There was a hard foul that took place and whatnot. Fast forward a little bit. Um, the guy, the black guy, uh, let's call him Robert. He, he drove in hard with a, like a bad elbow kind of thing. And the John fouled him harder. And then they got into this, uh, uh, kind of like almost, uh, uh argument ready to go to blows and john made the comment boy you don't know some something and you know whoo that term for uh, uh, a culturally guy like myself boy has rubbed me wrong my entire life knowing the history of white americans white kids white men calling grown men who are black boy and so um, I've always had an issue with that term. I've always had, especially when it came to white Americans calling, you know, black men that. And if we're all together and it's my, these are my boys, it's different. But there's a certain level of disrespect you can kind of feel or attribute when they say boy something. Mm-hmm. And so the Robert got super upset, rightfully so, and was ready to go to blows. I grabbed John pulled him back, got me, got between the two guys. And then, you know, he was just like, what's going on? And I carefully enlightened him of what took place. Um, and, you know, of course he was like apologetic. He didn't realize what he was saying. Um, he didn't realize that it caused that type of, you know, emotion. And even a week or two later, he came back to me again at the court and he's like, Hey man, I just want to again say thank you for enlightening me. I do apologize. I've never, it was not my intention. And, you know, that was an instance where in the midst of a heated moment, it could have I could have got upset as well because, you know, that term and what it does. And but that's that's also, I believe, God's spirit working in me, because in my younger years, pre-Jesus, when I would hear any racist terminology, if I would see any type of quote unquote racist um, paraphernalia, I was ready to fight because of how I was reared in my community, et cetera. And so it was always that case. And now it's more giving people benefits of the doubt and finding out where their heart really is with the, with the, with the situation or the circumstance, because many times it's just willful, it, it's ignorance. Whether it's willful ignorance or ignorance period, they may not know. And so it's my job to try to enlighten. I had a recently a, a discussion um, on Facebook with some white guys um, who they be they befriended me because my brother and them went to church together. And the first thing I saw was this post that was like one of those kind of like those jabs you mentioned earlier. And I was just like, well, that okay, what, what's this about? And so I just asked the question, I said, Hey, I'm new to your your page. I, the very first thing I see is this post. You know, would you care to enlighten me on you know your your assertion or what you're trying to you know do here? And he responded back and it allowed us to then enter into an incredible harmonious dialogue of perspective um, that although I am a black American, I don't see things always the same way that all black Americans see things because I see things through the biblical lens of God's word. At least I try to, uh, but I was able to educate him 
or them, I should say, uh, on terminology, um, on what, you know, what they was asking. And at the very end, they said, wow, I have never had this type of understanding based on terms, based on how you guys feel. Um, I'll be more careful in what I post. It wasn't my intent to do this. I was just trying to point out some error, but I'm, I can make, I, I see how that makes, you know, you guys feel and whatever. And so that was one of the greatest examples that, you know, recently of how communication can um, cause education and understanding. And if we just come to a table and we're trying to understand perspective and why we are or where we are, where, where we where we are, we can get a lot farther in life if we do that. Yeah, man, that's a very gracious approach. And I think um, now what we're seeing, I used to say in the extreme cases, but unfortunately I think it's more common cases now on social media is something that I've seen a little bit of in person, but even since it became kind of an extreme thing on social media uh, that in, in person, uh, whenever I see examples of someone like you mentioned, in in ignorance, trying to reference something and solve a problem, but they mentioned something. Um, one or two people hear what he said, and what he said wasn't great. But instead of, like you said, you know, maybe hey, we need to address that. Um, rolling their eyes, thinking of him as a racist, and writing him off, and that's it. So mm-hmm. I think canceling on social media has actually moved to the real world and if you have a real interaction and someone says something that you think is wrong i think more than half the time people won't even take the time to try and address um that ignorance they'll just think well that's who he is and and that's it and now he's my enemy or she's my enemy you know um and ah that that's that that's causes more division and that's exactly uh what our enemy would would like to do um, yeah, I oftentimes say that we we we're willing to we're willing to receive grace, but not give grace. Um, we're be patient with my development, but I can't be patient with your development, and, and that is the tragedy of, of it all. Versus us having communication and dialogue versus labeling people, because we're in that era in that in that season where it's like I'm just going to label everyone without understanding. Yep, you labeled this. Yep, you labeled that. And there's a there's a meme that goes around for years now when someone shows you your act when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And and I and I oftentimes say it say it. You know, how many times have you been in a very low place or a dark place or momentary weakness or you was hungry or you were sleepy and you showed yourself? Do you want them to believe that about you or do you want them to believe the entirety of your life's actions and not one occasion? And so we should be more gracious with how we deal with people versus um, how we uh, want to be received um, by other individuals. Yeah, that's a great term. Uh labels. Uh, I think the culture, Christians included, are very good at assigning labels. And that's kind of the main ammunition of social media, I think, is you are fill in the blank. And now whenever you see that term, um, it means that you're associated with this and that. And yeah, it's, it's a very convenient way to get across your message, look good, feel good. And yet, uh, it doesn't help that other person. In fact, it might ironically reinforce what everyone is is calling them and think, well, I guess that, that that's what I am, you know, mm-hmm. and then it's like kind of a spiral and that's not helpful. Um, so following that uh, online stream, 
with those three men uh, in his interview with the Washington Post uh, regarding the conversation with Giglio. Lecrae was asked why he thought the church was fine with discussing racial inequality in general, which is what their discussion was supposed to be about, uh, but not diving into specific subjects like police brutality. Uh, his, His response was, we as black people are all tired of conversations. I think that is where a lot of white evangelical leaders feel like that's where the plane can land. I think there's fear of approval fear of finances. They're afraid of losing money. They're afraid of losing members. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had a low approval rating before he passed away, but he was on the right side of history. And I think that's what's going to have to happen for white evangelical spaces. Mm-hmm. So, so do you agree with his assessment of primarily white churches? Um, and secondly, what would it look like for white evangelicals to learn from their black brothers and sisters are resisting the urge to lead that discussion, which I ironically feel like I'm doing right now, um, which I don't want to do. Uh, so first question is, do you agree with that assessment? And secondly, what would it look like for white evangelicals and white people overall to not lead, but really to listen? That's good. Um, I, um, whew, that's loaded because I think that I, I agree partly and I disagree partly um, in a sense that we've been quoting Martin Luther King's statement about silence of our friends for what, 40 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, and even most recently we quote it, but then we say that when they start speaking, we say, okay, that's not good enough. We can't have, com- you, you know, don't just speak up, do something. And I'm like, well, you've been saying stop being silent and then they're speaking and then it's not good enough. It's like, what do you want? Like, Either you want them to act or do you want them to speak? And let's be patient with the development. And, you know, it's like I always say, I'm a fitness guy. I love to be fit, physically fit. And I personally involve myself in strength training. Now, you may like cardio and you may like, um, uh, you know, Tabata and you may like to run. Hey, I should celebrate the fact that we all are doing something about our physical health, Right. Um, who am I to say that strength training is the best way to act when it comes to your physical fitness? Um, you may find better results in cardio. You may find better results in Tabata or whatever. And so often we want people to do what we want them to do and not be patient or not just celebrate the fact that, hey, they're doing something. Um, and I think that's where we are with even Christian black people oftentimes is that we quoted Martin Luther King's statement about it's the silence of our friends. And then our friends are now speaking and we're saying like, okay, that's not enough. You need to do something else. Um, with that being said, I do agree in a sense that there are conversations that have been ha- that's been having been had. Uh, we're just now seeing it on a wider scale now and a broader brush. Like everyone is having this dialogue right now um, and we can do more. I think the church does need to lead the charge as a whole yeah. when as it pertains to ethnic equality. Mm-hmm. For instance, um, I have long said this statement here, um, even in seminary. You know, why is it that um, we we talk about quote unquote racial reconciliation and you know uh, being the church and generally speaking, black people and diverse groups will join a church where there's a white pastor. But you rarely ever see white people join churches where there is a black pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I presented that, that that question to a local mega church pastor who is Caucasian, 
And he gave me a statement that I disagree with, um, you know, and I understood, I guess, to a, to a degree, uh, but it did nothing for that, 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 that rhetoric or that narrative that, that is there. Um, I think that oftentimes we or the church doesn't agree with police brutality because we as a people, and, and I'll speak frankly, um, as a black American, I oftentimes understand the the, di- the dynamic of what's happening. Um, I am a bodybuilder. I, I did bodybuilding, and um, this is going to be a very shocking and kind of a um, um, controversial statement. I, I probably should get ready for this. In bodybuilding, everyone spray tans before you go to the show. <laughs> everyone. We spray. We, we get our face sprayed. We get our body sprayed. And even black people get sprayed because the ideal is that your muscles and every fiber of your body is accentuated as you're you're tanned, right? I think that oftentimes because of our natural melon, um, our natural skin tone, it heightens every emotional fiber that we have. And yes, there is a cultural dynamic. There is... um, you know, I've oftentimes said that, you know, you can't just legislate um, sin. You go from slavery to reconstruction to post-reconstruction to Jim Crow to civil rights. It just takes on new forms. Mm-hmm. If you don't deal with the heart of people, it'll just take on new forms. And what we're trying to do so long is we've tried to put laws in place for sinful issues. And if you don't do what we need to do as a church, which is to lead change and, and use the same weapons that was used 2,000 years ago, the word of God, we will never see the change that we're hoping to see. So is there police brutality? Yes. But I think oftentimes white Americans or white Christians will justify it by saying, but he was being aggressive. He was fighting back. Mm-hmm. I, I don't uh, because I oftentimes say the same thing. It's like, dude, if the police officer is pulling you over, why are you arguing back with him? Why are you cussing at him? Why are you resisting arrest? Why are you doing this? Why are you giving him excuses if that's what we believe, quote unquote, that he is a racist or whatever? Why are we giving them excuses to exercise brutal force upon you? Um, so I think that you know, we have to take responsibility for our own actions oftentimes, but we also can't negate the fact that there is issues. And I'll give you this example. We fight for the rights of abortion, right? Of of unborn babies. We don't argue that those two people had fornication um, to create that baby. We don't care about the sinful act that created the baby. We just say we want that baby born because we believe in pro-life. We don't argue the fact that someone made some bad decisions and blew their money in Las Vegas and now they're homeless. We just fight for the right to feed them. Why is it that we do all these other social changes and social uh, uh, needs to help someone regardless of why they got to where they got, but yet we argue about the life of the born person. Well, he was he was fighting, he was resisting arrest, so therefore he deserved to get shot or whatever. Like we don't do that in any other sinful issue. We just fight for the for the right to have that life or we fight to serve them and to support them. But yet when it comes to this issue, we throw in, well, he was resisting arrest, so therefore he deserved to get shot. 
maybe not killed, but he does. You see what I'm saying? And that's 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 a self-reflection that we need to do for ourselves. Look in the mirror and ask ourselves, why is it that I will fight for an unborn life, even though they fornicated or she was raped or whatever, but I won't fight for the life, even though he was resisting arrest or whatever the case may be. And can we not see that there are issues that are surrounding all these different elements. I think what we need to do as a church, though, is how we lead the discussion is we we unify. Um, um, one thing I love about Matt Chandler locally is uh, Dallas Forward is that he he has brothers of different ethnicities that he has in his inner circle that he's willing to ask questions. He don't always agree but he's always willing to listen to them and hear their heart um, felt issues. Uh, I think that, and I have brothers who are the same way. They're on both aisles. There are maybe Republicans or Democrats or whatever, but they call me and ask, Hey man, how are you feeling? What's going on? You know, how can I see this differently? How can I uh, serve my community better? What can I do to initiate change? And I think that that's where it needs to start. It starts with us being willing to listen being willing to be taught and be willing to engage um, even when we disagree with how it came to be that particular thing. Uh, I think that that's key, but I think it also ends with being the church um, in this world. And that means being the salt and the light of this world. And sometimes it's not, um, it's not wise to say what you feel in a certain situation. We can have that discussion in a different way, different day. Um, sometimes wisdom is, and I oftentimes say wisdom is knowledge that's fully understood and then skillfully applied. Wisdom is knowing, but how do I apply what I know in the best effective way? And sometimes we're just, we, we, we're smart, but we're not being wise. Saying certain things in a certain moment is not wisdom. Um, it can cause division more than cause anything else. And it's mm-hmm. listening in a season and then making the proper determination. And, and the Bible tells us he that lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And he freely gives to those who ask. If you lack wisdom, God says he will give you wisdom. And I think that we can't be afraid to have these discussions. I've said this for many years. We tell our parishioners to trust God, have faith. Trust God with your finances, trust God with your life. But we as pastors, sometimes we don't trust God. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid of finances being dropped. I'm not trusting God. I'm telling my people to trust God, but I'm afraid. I want to see some results. Mm. And so I think that we have to get, get back to the basics of, you know, the goal of our instruction is love from a sense of heart and pure faith. Um, what is our goal of the church? To glorify God with everything that we have. And I'm going to trust God day by day, moment by moment, even when it comes to having tough discussions, because I don't I am entrusted with this soul, with this life as the, as the under shepherd of God. I'm entrusted with them and I'm doing my part to ensure that they get the totality of what it means to be a believer. And that's also fighting for those lives who, who can't fight for themselves. Yeah, man, that's a very interesting and powerful uh, scenario that you painted because if there's anything as or more polarizing than racial conversation, it's the conversation around abortion, right? And mm. pro-life and what does pro-life actually mean? 
And uh, does it mean that you also have to be pro-immigration, uh, which mm. you've had Tim Keller and Ed Stetzer and, and other people who have come out and, and said that, which uh, I think is a very interesting thing and a, and a good thing to bring up. Um, and, you, um, you know, th- this is another reason why dialogue is important, because as you pointed out earlier, you don't speak for all black people. And I certainly don't speak for all white people. Um, and whenever we've had um, at, at our church, we've had panels and discussion on uh, the role of women in, in, in ministry. Mm. Um, and we have w- women up there who say, you know, here's, here's my thoughts and, and, and my perspective, but I don't speak for all women. Mm. And so, um, you know, I often see um, white people who will post a YouTube video or a tweet <laughs> from a person of color and say, see, they agree with me. So all everyone uh, who's talking about this, it's false and doesn't matter because one person or two people mm-hmm. uh, agree with me. And I, I look at that and I just, I have to smile to keep from, you know, punching the screen. Like, are you kidding yeah. me? Yeah. Uh, that is, is what you're trying to go with. And you, um, you, you know, I, I love that you said that you have people, um, especially across the political aisle, um, who, who talk to you and, and want to engage, um, because along with the polarization, uh, online, I think the longest polarization that we've had in our nation, maybe aside from racism, but, it, uh, and prejudice, but including that is political. And of course, mm. over the past 20 or 30 years, especially, it's Democrats versus Republicans and they are the enemy. And um, I think that's another notch in, um, you know, I think of screw tape letters by CCS Lewis. And it's like, that's exactly what the enemy wants us to think. Absolutely. And it is very true that politics affect lives every day. And I'm, I myself am a, political science major and it took me getting a major to become apathetic <laughs> toward <laughs> politics uh but you know people of color women depending on your demographic all of that is determined by politics and so mm. um you know i wrestle with going back and forth of should i stay out of it and really focus on uh what it means to grow my faith and love others well should i try and apply my faith into politics but unfortunately i think most of the examples we have of that are bad examples uh because if you're against my politics then you're against the lord and the word of god and (laughs) that's not true you know right um and so uh you, you know it all of that um those are multiple reasons why dialogue is needed and i certainly even as a white person i certainly understand where lecrae is coming from because um, I know in my own life, just out of comfort, if I can do something and it works, I'm not going to fix what's not broken, what, you know, what, what, what's, what's not broken. So I'm going to keep doing that. And yes, dialogue can be rich. And I think personally f- for myself and other areas of my life, but including white leaders, uh, um, who address this issue, I've seen it and read that, um, this is where they're comfortable right now. And to your point, I think it's good that they're actually speaking up and a lot of people are still speaking up, even though some Mm -hmm. of the more recent um, 
national headlines of, of racism have kind of they're 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 still there, but they're a little fur, further back now. Um, but they're still happening. I think dialogue is good, but I also agree that action is also needed. We need action steps um, because you know um, if our hearts overflowing. Uh, then what's coming out of that people should see, right? And as you said, if people judge you by um, one statement or one action or one bad day or one dark time in your life and they ignore everything else uh, that composes who you are, then we're just going to stomp on wrong statements and dismiss people uh, instead of actually learning that if relationships are good and they're true and they're deep, then they're messy. Um, mm-hmm. And we need to step into that. And I understand certainly as a white person where I get really um, uneasy if people use terminology that I'm like, well, I want to respond, but I don't want to be offensive. But also, I'm not sure I really understand what they're talking about. But if I ask them, I don't know what that means. Does that, are they going to write me off because I'm ignorant? You know, it's, it's, right, this, it's right. this dance that we do mentally before you even say anything and we get so worked up that we end up just not saying anything and yeah um and dialogue is yes it's not necessarily actions that we might want to see or actions that are being talked about as uh these should be going on but it's still hard um and it still is what's needed because if we just have actions and no dialogue it becomes sort of like your standard short-term mission trip where we go we build a house for someone we pat ourselves on the back take a few pictures come back show pictures say hey i did this and it was great which is good you, you did go in and serve somebody right but there's not a basis for it if you don't teach the people there how to build their own homes right if you don't give people understanding of this is long term this is a marathon when you have these discussions and this dialogue dialogue uh should imply not instant gratification in the short term and boom, that's checked off, right? It implies a process up and down and being messy. But at the end, it's worth it because you have actual, as I mentioned in the very beginning, real change. If people talk about they want real change, it's a marathon. It can't happen Absolutely. right away. Um, and just to that point, you know, you know I, I oftentimes talk about strategic change. Um, and it doesn't happen oftentimes because people fail to do three things. Um, it's either the failure to see, it's the failure to set things in motion, and it's the failure to sustain the things you set in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so change doesn't happen if you don't see, if you're not aware of what's happening. And that's where dialogue helps people see, and not only the opposite person, but also you yourself. See the see the things in you that is contributing. Um, I've, I've got the name of the guy, but DNA Relationships book talks about you know one of the things that happens is that we're we're created to choose created relationships, but we also is created with the ability to to make or to be responsible for our own actions. Hmm. So often we're not responsible for our own actions. We we always attribute what's happening to us based upon or is because of what you're doing, mm-hmm. never what I'm doing. Yes. Is there a systemic racism and systemic things in this world that, yes, there is, but there are also actionable things that I can do within myself. And so for me, even though I know it's a harder role for me as an individual, I know I've experienced it. I have lived it. 
Yet I know that as a believer, the Bible says that um, promotion doesn't come from the east or west. It comes from God. So do I believe the word or do I look at this world? And oftentimes God has pre like, even though that circumstance I said earlier happened where I know I wasn't promoted because I was black, God showed me later how it was a blessing I wasn't in that position um, and how God sometimes steered me away from things, even though I'm qualified for it or whatever the case may be. And so I think that we have to see things from the lenses of God's word. And so often we're not doing that. And then again, it's the fair to set things in motion. So after we're dialoguing, communicating, and it is a, a process, it's not a destination. We are doing this for a life, a lifetime. What are we putting into action? What, what are the action steps that we're doing? How can we best serve, right? Um, we don't just talk about feeding the poor. We go out and we feed the poor. And then to, to, to end it is it's the failure to set things in motion. What I oftentimes see is that we get riled up and excited and we, 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 we get outraged. But then the next news cycle takes place and then that outrage is gone. And we're not seeing the change that we want to see because we're not sustaining the momentum that we've created. And so I hope that as a church in this season, as we step out and lead, we see, we set in motion, but then we sustain um, the things that we are setting in motion to to make sure that we are serving um, all um, the best way that we can. Amen, bro. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, so, uh, Man, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to give you a space. Uh, I know you have your own ministry and you have a podcast. Do you want to plug that really quick so people can follow up with you later and kind of hear more about you and see the work that God is doing through you? Yeah, thanks, man. Um, you know, it's, again, it's a pleasure to be with you, Jeff. It's been a very long time and just uh, <laughs> grateful to see, um, you know, where we are and what God is doing in our lives. And congratulations on the the uh the babies uh, first oh thank you uh, man coming up yeah, yeah absolutely um people can find me on all things robert l wagner so robertlwagner.com is my website um social media pages are all robert l wagner whether it's youtube instagram snapchat facebook kind of keep the brand uh brand there um and then um podcast is called the seven show we're actually getting ready to launch back our second season of the podcast um, and then I'm actually launching probably a um, seven sermon series. So just different sermons that I've, cre- I've done, um, just putting, you know, putting it out there on the, the you know, the Apple podcast uh, platforms and, and all that stuff. So you can just Google Robert L. Wagner, you can pretty much find anything about me um, there, whether it's social media or things I'm doing. I also have a sevens university where I teach people um, not only um, professional and personal development, but more particularly spiritual development helping people become the best version of themselves. And so we just wrapped up a basic Bible doctrine systematic theology course uh, that was about six weeks long, um, provided that for free. And so we do a lot of free courses there. And then we also have on demand where you can find uh, many of those different things um, on, on our platform. So, yeah. Love it, man. That all sounds great. Um, and you're welcome back anytime. And I'll be praying for you as a leader and a voice in these important times. Amen. Likewise, brother. Thank you. That concludes today's episode. Thanks again to Robert for joining me. If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast on Spotify or Podbean. I will share Robert's website and links 
in the description of this episode on the Podbean podcast homepage. I encourage you to share this episode with anyone who is struggling to find their place and footing in dialogue and how to engage in these polarizing issues that we are talking about in our country and how it shapes our faith. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, adios.